So when I go running, one of the things I like to do on my running courses is I like to mix it up a little bit. But on one particular running course, I go by what used to be my favorite pizza shop. And I say used to because it closed down a few months ago. And I don't like that. So every time I run by there, I look in there and it looks the same, but there's nobody in there. There's just a little bit of sadness whenever I run past it. And I was thinking about that. And there's a couple other instances of, of this happening to me. There was a cafe I used to like to go to in the city that closed down. And I don't know how many of you ever went to like the Heart Cafe in Marietta. Sometimes I would go there on Fridays when I was done working. I'd go in there, grab lunch, and then wrap up work there. And so sometimes on Fridays, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could go there. But I couldn't. And as I was reflecting on this, I I was realizing that there's a loss there. There's a loss, that an absence that was being felt by me and probably others in the community. There was something that these places provided that just isn't there anymore. Have you ever, have you had that recently? Have you had any of those places where you're like, oh man, I wish I could go there. Well, as I was thinking about this, this brought me to thinking about the church and about us here at Crossroads. If Crossroads closed down, would the community feel a similar absence? Would they drive by the building and say, ah, man, I wish they were still there. I wish they still did this. I wish they still were involved in that. Well, thankfully for us, Crossroads is not down. Crossroads is not closed down. And God has actually placed us in this community. God has placed us in this community intentionally because there are lots of people in this area who need to know Jesus. So today we're going to be talking about being for our community. And it really, really matters to God that we are for our community because God is for our community. Now, how does God feel about our community? We've talked about that a lot over the past several weeks, but I want us to read a scripture. I want us to look at a scripture that's just going to set a baseline for us. It's just going to get us into the mindset of how Jesus feels about the people in our community. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 3. It says verse 1. We're going to start in verse 3. And again, this is just to help us get into the framework of how Jesus thinks about the people in our community. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In this passage, we're hearing God's perspective. God is the shepherd in this instance. And you have the herd, those who are already following. And you have the lost, those who are far from God. If we look at the story and we read the story and hear it, you can hear the immense care and the immense concern that God has for those people who are far from him. I mean, even the term lost implies something of value. 
If I drop a penny, I'm not going back for it. I don't care. It is of no worth to me whatsoever. But when you lose something, it matters. In fact, it mattered so much that he would leave the 99 to go after the one. This is how Jesus feels about the people in our community who are far from him. As the church, our feelings, our desires should mirror that of Jesus. Our community is full of people who are lost. Does that motivate us? What are we willing to do to go after them? See, we have a great message to present. We have a great message to present. How much Jesus loves and cares about people. But we also have a problem. Nationwide, the church has a problem that is hurting our ability to reach our communities. See, despite our great message, fewer and fewer people are interested in what we have to say. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Some of the reasons have to do with how the church has been over the years. Our attitudes and behaviors as a church, not just across, all across the nation, our church, we've not always acted very well. We've not always acted well towards the people who are inside our church. And it's caused people to leave the church. We've not always treated or thought about the people in our communities and outside of our walls very well. And that's caused people to look at the church and say, I'm not sure I'm interested. Sometimes we've failed to change and adapt our methods and models. And that's forced people away or made them think they're not interested. People have said no to Jesus Because at times they feel like the church has said no to them. And there's this gap that exists between what the church wants to be known for and what the church is actually known for. But it's not just the church. The culture around us has shifted in major ways. It used to be that almost everybody either went to church grew up in church, had some kind of biblical background, or if they were pressed on what their affiliation was, they would probably say Christian. But that's no longer the case. So there's a growing number of people who have absolutely no religious affiliation and don't really want one. And for them, sometimes they're called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Sometimes they're called nuns. And for them... Not even, it's not even that they're hostile towards us. It's not even that they've always had bad experiences. Sometimes it's that they're just disinterested. They just have no interest in us. And I don't know which one is worse. Sometimes you'd rather have, the, have a problem with us because then maybe there's something we can do to make it up. Disinterest is a whole other level. Think of it like this. It seems like almost every other building that goes up is a new branch of a bank. You know, it just seems that way. And the moment I realize it's not one of the banks that I, am, I bank at, I don't care about it. I have zero interest in it whatsoever. In fact, I drive by probably a dozen banks every single day. I don't even know they're there. I don't know what branch they are. I don't know what they offer. I couldn't care less. They make no impact on me whatsoever. And what's sad is 
that growing number of people feel the same way about church. They drive by them. They don't care. It's not for them. There's generations of people who have no interest in what we have to say. In fact, a recent survey showed that 84% of the nuns who were 18 to 34 had no interest in getting together or even having a conversation with a pastor or a church staff member. And that's sad. If we're not even able to have a conversation, how do we move them towards Jesus? So we have work to do. We have work to do to help people get to the place where they're willing to consider the church. And until we close that gap, they're not going to care what we have to say. They're just not interested. So how do we say yes to people who have said no to us? We have to say yes to them, even though they've said no to what we believe, no to the church, no to Jesus. We have to find a way to bridge those gaps. And we do this by showing our community we are for them. And there's a great example of being able to bridge gaps in Acts chapter 17. And in this passage, as we jump into it, Paul has been on one of his missionary journeys, and at his previous stop, things got a little hairy, and they felt like they needed to get Paul out of town. So they shipped Paul to Athens, but Timothy and Silas stayed behind. And so now Paul has got some time to kill in Athens, waiting for his colleagues to arrive. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in when we look here at Paul, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching, about, preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So we find here, Paul is walking around the city. And as he's walking around, he's observing the community. He's observing what's going on. And what he sees disturbs him. So he starts talking to the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Now these are people who would understand the message of Jesus. Who would have the framework and the mindset to be able to understand that conversation. So he starts talking with them and reasoning with them. But in the meantime, there's other people around. This conversation and these debates are are ongoing. And some of the Greek philosophers overhear him. The difference is, they don't have that same framework. They don't understand right away. This message of Jesus is weird to them. They don't get it. And you see that in what they're saying. What is this babbler trying to say? I don't know. I think he's talking about foreign gods. I don't, I don't know. I have no way of knowing. So that's what we see. These conversations get overheard, but they don't get it. See, there's a gap that exists between Paul and the Greeks, a gap that needs to be closed in order for them to be able to hear the message of Jesus. And this is a pretty big gap. See, one of the things we have in the West as a result of our Judeo-Christian heritage is that when we think about the idea of God, almost all of us think about it as a singular concept. God, a singular person. We call this monotheism. The problem was the Greek 
philosophy was entirely different. They were not a monotheistic culture. They were what we call a polytheistic culture. They believed in lots and lots of gods. So the very concept of one God was extremely foreign to them. They had different philosophical systems. So when it came to this conversation about Jesus, it's like they were speaking entirely foreign languages. They couldn't get on the same page. And it was getting in their way of people hearing about Jesus. So Paul has this gap that he needs to close. And he's going to close it by observing and listening in his community. So they take him up to the Areopagus where he's going to get a wider audience. He's going to get a broader audience to speak to. And here's how he starts. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. As I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul observes what's going on in the community. And he's working to build bridges that are going to help them be able to consider the message that he has to say. See, Paul can't lead in with the conversation about Jesus because that didn't work. They weren't ready for it. He's meeting them where they are at, at their level. And he starts out with what they had in common. He says, look, hey, we're both interested in spiritual matters. I see that in every way you're very religious. Now, these are very, very different systems of religious. But it's a start. It's something. It's something to say, hey, we're both interested in this type of thing. And then he makes a more concrete connection. He says, look, I see you guys have a statue to an unknown God. Now, as part of their polytheistic culture, they were really obsessed with not angering the gods. And so they they thought, you know, there might be other gods out there that we just don't know about. We don't know who they are. So in order to not offend whoever that unknown God is, we'll just put a catch-all statue up here to an unknown God that'll get our bases covered and we'll be okay. But Paul's like, this is my inroad. This is the way that I can make that connection. He says, so you guys admit that there's a God you don't know anything about. Let me help you. Let me tell you. If you read this story, and I really advise you to to read it because we're not going to get to quote the whole thing. He also quotes their poets and their writers. Anything he can do to make a connection. See, Paul had to do the work on the front end to build a bridge to be able to help people move to a place where they were able to hear the message of Jesus. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to build bridges. We must learn to do this. If we're going to be successful, if we're going to take the amount of people who will hear about the gospel and we want to expand our level of influence in our community, we have work to do to help people who are uninterested in our message consider us again. That's what the heart of the four is all about, helping broaden our influence and help more people consider. We need to find ways to build bridges to help people understand that we are for them. So what are we doing? Are we looking for things that we have in common with our community? Paul was able to connect with these Greeks on spiritual lines. But with people that we're trying to reach being uninterested in spiritual things, our connections may be different. Our connections could be 
and should be in our community. Think about it. We shop in the same local stores. We send our kids to the same local schools. We play in the same neighborhoods. We enjoy the same parks, the same theaters. And all of us want to see our community succeed. So we must learn to observe our community and listen to what it needs. Are we paying attention when we're out in our community? Are we participating? Are we listening to what our community needs? Are we engaged in those type of conversations? See, we can show people that we are for them, that the church is for them, that Jesus is for them. Our community is an excellent way for us to build, the, to build a bridge, to close that gap, if we're willing to do what it takes. But it's going to take effort on our part. And there's some things that we need to overcome as well. One of our obstacles, if we want to be for our community, that we have to overcome. It's something we have to fight against. It's something all organizations at some level have to fight against, but especially so in the church. And that's insider thinking. We have to overcome insider thinking. Insider thinking is when a church gets easily sidetracked from its mission and begins to focus on itself instead where we turn our attention, energy, time, resources towards those who are inside our walls instead of those outside. And this happens in a number of subtle ways. And some of it's hard to avoid. I mean, after all, people in our community usually don't call us up and say, hey, if you would do this, this, and this, I'm going to show up on Sunday. They usually don't do that. Rarely, if ever. But here in church, we do that. We talk about what we like. We talk about what we don't like. And it can be easy for us to fall into the habit of paying more attention to who's inside and who's already going to heaven than to those outside who need to know Jesus. And we begin to lose touch with those, those people and we move further and further away from our mission. Now think back at that first passage we read. The very first one in Luke. Do you know why Jesus told that story? Well, let's look at it. Verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why did Jesus tell that story? Because the religious leaders had a problem with him focusing on the lost. And in fact, the religious leaders were Jesus' main opposition when he was here on earth. And if we aren't careful, we can begin thinking that the church is all about us and is designed for us and to meet our needs. And there's some warning signs for this. There's some warning signs for insider thinking. Are we resistant to change? Now, sometimes as leaders, we haven't always done a great job conveying why we're changing or what we're changing to or the reasons for it. But sometimes we just don't like to change. And organizations and churches that don't change die. Or maybe you've said this phrase, I'm just not sure I'm being fed. Watch out for that one. Mature believers are focused on feeding others. The best church that you can attend is the one that doesn't cater to you, but invites you on the mission to focus on those who are far from God. And the third warning sign, when we start having our preferences over our missions, when the minor things that we encounter start becoming major 
influencers in our lives and in our thinking about the church. All of this leads to a narrow focus. Our focus can become so narrow that we're focused on just a small section of the people who are within our walls and not the broad calling that Jesus has given us. When we limit our vision of who we are for, to just simply the people who attend on Sunday, we miss out on tremendous opportunity to impact and influence people who may never step foot in our doors. And when we do that, the gap between us and our community increases. So we must repel insider thinking. But how can we be for our community? How can we do that? Well, the people in our community care about the community. Jesus cares about our community. And as the church, it's our job to bridge that gap, to show the people outside that Jesus cares about the community. If we do that, we can help see people, have people see a different side of the church. And we can help bridge that gap and cause people who might not consider us to consider us. And we do this by listening and talking with our community, by building bridges to our community, and by celebrating our community. Uh, Pastor uh, Forrest Janine of uh, a church in California has a great quote that just illustrates the vision of what this four looks like. And it says this, Imagine a city where the people who lived in that city were all committed to doing something in some small way to make their block better, their neighborhood better, their school better, their city better. There's a million ways in which it can happen. Being for our community means showing them that we care about our community. It doesn't mean watering down our theology or our beliefs. It means showing our community how much Jesus cares, whether or not they step foot in our doors or not. So what does this look like in practice? What are some examples of how this gets done? Well, there's a lot of great ways that that this can happen. And there was a really fun example from Domino's Pizza. Domino's Pizza a while ago had a real image crisis, and nobody liked them, and nobody wanted to eat their pizza. So they, they created this innovative campaign, and it had a lot of different places, but one of them was called Paving for Pizza. And they came up with this idea, and their, their line was this. You know when you're driving home with your pizza, and you hit a pothole, and then the pizza goes flying? Nobody likes that. So go to this website and tell us where there are potholes on your route to our store, and we'll come fix them. I mean, a pizza place is like, hey, we'll pave the potholes in your streets. And they did. They got all sorts of response from this. They got locations from thousands of different zip codes in all 50 states. And they did. They went around and they fixed potholes at no cost to the community. A pizza place fixing potholes. Who would have thought about that? Or how about this one? During Hurricane Harvey... This guy was in one of those bad areas that needed evacuated. He saw there was still a lot of people who were not evacuated. So he kept trying to call 911 over and over and over again. He couldn't get through and he couldn't get an answer. So what did he do? What anybody else would do. He called Chick-fil-A. Why not? So he calls Chick-fil-A and he's like, hey, can I get a couple of chicken sandwiches and a boat? Of course, Chick-fil-A doesn't sell boats, but one of the people in that restaurant happened to have a boat. So an hour later, that guy shows up with a boat and a jet ski to help take people to safety. Now, that's not going to immediately benefit Chick-fil-A's bottom line. But when you're for your community, you do stuff like that. 
Or how about another example from a church? Gwinnett Church, uh, whose pastor, Jeff Henderson, is one of the ones who developed the four idea. His church went to their local officials in their community and said, hey, we're just going to ask you an open-ended question. What, what do you need help with? What can we help you with? And they had a very odd response. They said, well, we have this really nice amphitheater in Sugar Hill, and nobody knows about it. Can you just tell your congregation about this amphitheater? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure, we can do that, but actually we can do one better. We'll host a concert at the amphitheater and invite the entire community. So that's what they did. They hired a bunch of local bands, they put on a concert, and they threw this giant party for the community. And they didn't care what music it was because it wasn't really for them. It was for the community. And so they threw a giant party for a community at this amphitheater because the city officials were like, we need people to understand that this place is here. And the goal was not to help the church, but to help the community. However, by helping the community, they were helping the church. And this is what Jeff Henderson had to say about it. We weren't trying to shine a spotlight on ourselves. We were trying to connect with our community, whether or not they ever set foot inside the church. So what about us? We're doing some of this stuff already. We are. A great example of this was this past summer, Camp Courageous took place. It's our big children's event in the summer. And this year, instead of it being here on our campus, it went out into our communities. Well, one of those groups that met that summer is still meeting. They're meeting once a month. And just uh, in a recent month, they had something called Bibles and Bedtimes that they invited the people from the community with. And a lot of the community was there. Just a way that we can say that we're for the community. Or how about our relationship with Donegal? We have a great relationship with Donegal School District. At the beginning of the pandemic, they were concerned that some of their students wouldn't have internet access. So they asked us, hey, can we host people if they're interested? And we said, yeah, sure, we could do that. Now, it didn't end up being a major need, but they knew they could turn to us. And just a few weeks ago, Pastor Doug read a letter from the superintendent of Donegal asking for our help. And we were there to provide it. Our playground has been amazing. Those of us who are here on a weekly basis see this. Random people just come driving into our parking lot, get out and use the playground. People come walking in from the neighborhoods, and all the time we're seeing people use the playground. That's amazing. I love the fact that our community knows they can just show up on our property and use the playground. That's fantastic. I love that. And Harvest Celebration. Harvest Celebration is one of the biggest things we do all year to show that we are for our community. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate our community and celebrate with our community. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. What this accomplishes is that it's showing our community that we're for them. It's expanding our circle of influence beyond those who might ordinarily not be interested in church. There are people who will show up for free fireworks and hot dogs that may never set foot in our building. And that's great. And if we do this well, then people who might never consider the church will consider the church. And we'll close with this. Think about this, how this went for Paul. At the end of his message, Acts chapter 17, he finally gets there, he talks to the people, he makes that connection, and here's how it went. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, 
But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. After that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. He expanded his sphere of influence. And some people never responded. But some people started reconsidering. Some people said, hey, I want to hear more about this. And some people came to Jesus. Being for our community means being for people who may never set foot in our building. And the larger we can draw our sphere of influence, the wider our potential impact can be. And ultimately, the more people will come to Jesus as a result. So if you're looking for ways to respond, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be looking for ways to be for your community, both as an individual and as for ideas for us to generate as a church. Maybe the next great idea comes from one of you. And secondly, a great, easy way for you to get started on this, being for your community, is to sign up to volunteer at Harvest Celebration. This is a huge event, and we need all hands on deck. We need everybody to be in on this because we want to make this a spectacular event for our community. So you're going to hear in a few moments about how to sign up for Harvest Celebration. But I want every single person to seriously consider doing that. Let's be for our community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, God, that you are for us. That you are for our community. God, help us as we try to build that bridge, as we try to make that connection to being for our community to the point where even people who are not part of our church understand that our church is for them. God, help us to see the opportunities that are available to us in our community. Help us to be looking for them, to be paying attention for them, and help us to be willing to respond God, keep us from letting insider thinking take over and help us to continue to be focused on the mission that you have given us in our community. God, we love our community. And we know that the people of our community love it as well. Help us to let them know that we are for them, that Jesus is for them, and the church is for them. In your name, amen.